1: Welcome to Toleracea in Part 2 of the Inglory
0: Ambassadors Trilogy, Rise of the All Alright, welcome everybody to Episode 51 of the Inglory Ambassadors Campaign. Uh, We uh, have I don't know how iTunes is going to do it. This is essentially the first episode of season two. So it's either episode 51 or, <laughs> or the episode one of season two. Um, and I'm very excited tonight. I've been waiting since uh, about November of 2018. Mostly it was my doing. It was a scheduling thing. But I, with us tonight, we have Dr. Corey Olson. Um, most of you all probably know him as the Tolkien Professor. And I just want to give you a big welcome. Thank you for coming. Hey, no problem. Good to be here. So just a quick background, I'm going to give a, just a quick background on you, Corey, if that's okay. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I brushed up on this before, before you came on, just so I can make sure I get it right. Uh, so Corey uh, has a BA from Williams College in um, English and astrophysics, which, yes. which is an interesting combination <laughs> um, and a PhD from Columbia University. Was that in medieval literature? Yes, it was. Um, and he, um, he was on the faculty of Washington College for a while in the English Department. And then, of course, he became the Tolkien professor. Um, he is the uh, founder of Mythgard Institute and the founder of Signum University um and i'm just i'm really excited to have you here uh so thank you again for coming uh is there anything that i left out anything that you want to talk about
1: <clears throat> oh, no that's all good and uh yeah no i'm really glad to be here i think you know the idea of your campaign is really cool very few people do much with the book of lost tales stuff you know and uh it's so i mean there's so much stuff in the book of lost tales that is just like completely sort of off the radar <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's, it's really interesting. But the thing is, I, and it's one of the things that I've been noticing. So in the in the Mythgard Academy, which is the series of uh, basically sort of online book club stuff that I've been doing uh, through Mythgard since 2013 now, um, we just do, you know, uh, discussions of, of, uh, of books chapter by chapter, essentially. Um, and um, we've been going through the entire History of Middle-earth series together, reading that together and, and talking it through. We're in Sauron defeated right now, Volume 9, talking about the Notion Club papers. We had a particularly difficult section of the Notion Club papers we were talking about this past Wednesday just two days ago. But... Um, back, uh, you know, one of the things in, like, reading the whole, this is the first time I've ever like, carefully gone through the whole History of Middle-earth series, back to back to back you just, it's, it's like a reference series you usually don't, like, read it cover to cover and back to back from one end to the next, so it's been really cool studying through that way and one of the things that I keep finding is sometimes, like, just when you think that one of the crazy ideas from the Book of Lost Tales that, like, never appears again, or, like, just just when you think that, like, clearly he must have changed his mind about that, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, and he went away from that it'll like crop up again or like something that implies that maybe actually, you know, he didn't, he's not talking about it anymore. You know, he doesn't include it. He doesn't mention it in the stories, but, uh, but maybe it's not even actually done, you know, these sort of mythic ideas that he kind of touches on. and never explains these concepts that he, um, that he raises briefly. And then in later versions, especially once he started doing the style of writing that became the Silmarillion. And I don't mean like the, 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 the linguistic style. I mean the narrative style, Right, like you know, most of the Silmarillion is essentially a kind of plot summary, right? I mean it's right. it's just kind of giving a big overview of these stories. Well, that's not where he started out. Like, right, the book of lost tales is a very different kind of narrative. It's 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 telling the story in much more detail.
0: Very much so, and and um, I'm glad you went right into that. Um, so the, the reason I asked Corey to come originally on the podcast was because uh, his first two sessions uh, on the book of lost tales, uh, essentially about the foreword and the first chapter, right, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> where Ariel encounters Lindo and Vare, goes to the yes. cottage of lost play. Those were s- so. Uh, instrumental and in me sort of forming uh the basis of the second part of this of this campaign um, and it's 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 strange because and and just bear with me here um, yeah, okay. for, for for me the first part of the campaign our campaign was in sort of middle earth proper the 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 right. part that everybody knows right um, sure. and and in a sense by moving forward in time from the character's point of view i'm actually moving backwards in time um, in the in the mythos right yes and and what's so cool about that and in in part 3 which i'll get to 50 episodes from now i'm i'm moving back even farther um you know so so this part two where the characters end up coming to toll ericea the lonely Isle. um, you know, you get to meet, um, some of the elves that are living there and that have been living there for a long time since, since the Island, um, stopped moving around. (laughs) Um, and so, and so you get to meet these characters and you, and, um, and I think, I think you, um, I think you touched on this at some point in in one of those episodes where you, you know, you learn, uh, you learn about the history, um, from these people sort of firsthand from, from, from someone who's there to learn. um, so so yeah so so we're we're um, focused primarily on the book of lost tales the foreword, and and sort of book one right the college right. of lost play right
1: right yeah college of lost play
0: sure um so yeah so so moving through there so what I thought we'd do tonight Corey is we mm-hmm. can talk a little bit about the college of lost play I have. I have some uh some vocabulary i guess you were um i I guess i guess you could call it vocabulary and concepts and i thought um we could talk about them and then we could play a little game um where i could where i could talk about um you know some of the things that that have happened in the campaign and you can tell me as the expert uh you know uh, that jared that doesn't really work (laughs) and and here's why and and i'm expecting that I, i i certainly won't take any offense to it um because I already sort of having gone through, we did the campaign. Um, we started the campaign almost two years ago, and already, you know, going back through it, uh, I, I'm noticing things that I did wrong or, or facts that I got incorrect. Um, so, so I will. I just want to bring up one thing. Um, when we first started talking, um, I, I was I was really excited to meet you. Obviously, from listening to the. The podcast, but but also we have a lot of other things in common, right? We're both fathers. We both live in right. New England, and we're both lifelong Dungeons and Dragons players. That's right. Um, so can you can you tell us anything about? Um, I am curious um, about sort of your D and D play, or if, if you still keep up with that at all?
1: Sure. Well. So I don't, I mean, I, so I've been playing D&D since I was in high school, basically, uh, was when I, I started playing D&D, and I was very active throughout college. I was kind of co DMing uh, a long campaign uh, with a class of mine throughout our college years. Um, I didn't play very much after that for a while, and I, I kind of put it aside for, you know, throughout grad school and everything. I just didn't have time, didn't really know anybody who played anymore. And uh, it was about maybe, so maybe 15, 20 years went by and uh, i mean so i was playing i think i was still playing second edition yeah. in college <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> you know, back in the glorious days of thackos and oh uh, yeah you know, armor class negative three and all that <laughs> kind of thing uh <laughs> plus, um but that, so it, 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 it was after the fifth edition came out um that i just kind of i don't know sort of stumbled across it again and like finding it was like i don't know it was like it was like you know, stumbling on an oasis in the desert. I was like, "Oh, DD I haven't done this in so long. And my sons were old enough that I'm like, "You know what? We can play." So I taught my kids to play. Oh, you know, that's they, awesome. you know, I got the fifth edition books, which I really quite like. The fifth edition books. My first impulse, I'm like, "Maybe we can play second edition." And I'm like, "No, it's good. <laughs> it's, good it's, it's all good." Um, but um, so uh, so I started playing. I started, you know, DMing some uh, sort of short campaigns for my sons. Basically, is what I've been doing lately. But I I find it's one of the things that I just absolutely love thinking about. You know, like when I I get the relatively rare times when I just get like some free time just to kind of do something for fun, I will often go through and be like, you know, how can I like, you know, can I make up like a, a, a homebrew table of like how I can, I love random tables as a DM. It's one of my favorite things. Like my favorite thing in the world is to roll stuff on random tables and then make up the narrative that makes the crazy results you <laughs> get from a random table fit. Like that's my favorite thing. Absolutely. Home- yeah. Home uh, so, um, so, so I love making up tables uh, and things. So, like that's like the kind of like that's my like very private sort of super geeky pleasure. Even now, to like go through and make up random DM tables, which I never even actually use because I don't. But someday I might. You know, it might it might come up. The situation may arise at some point in the future again when I'm able to sort of plan a campaign again. Uh, who knows? But uh, anyway, so that's kind of my my, my, my history with uh, uh, with D and find it so in. Uh, invigorating you know to be to be participating in a story that you know you are creating that is kind of unfolding around you you know uh, in the way that that happens there's there are very few things um, it's like, a, I, there's like a kind of, you know, I love stories, I love narrative, you know, as, you know as, a, as a teacher and as a professor, this is what I do. And this is what I love doing. And there's, there's a kind of purity, you know, to the narrative creation of like a story that is unfolding, uh, you know, that nobody knows what's going to happen, right? Nobody knows what's going to happen. Uh, and the story happens and the story that emerges as a story, unplanned and, and uh, unforeseen by any one in the party, right? And just, that kind of experience is—I uh, just find so delightful. Well, the um,
0: you know, playing d and D campaign in a Middle Earth setting was yes. was um, you know talking about some of the things you just mentioned. Being able to weave that story in without mm-hmm. without like mm-hmm. crapping all over everything Tolkien right. believed in right, <laughs> right. And, and that's and that was right. that was important to me you know so when right. I when I talk about you know um, oh these characters opened a portal to the vo- or opened like a door to the void um, they 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 traveled across the straight road without you know being on one of Cured-in ships like what you, wait a minute but I, but but you know we were um, you know the Elendil stone went right back to Tower Hills right like because yeah. that yeah. Was that, yeah that comes into the story again later, right? Like we didn't, we didn't, we didn't kill off Gildor and Glorian, right? Like, you know, he's, he's still kicking around. Um, And for the most part, our story stayed away from the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings altogether. Yeah. Um, So, You know, I'm really discovering my love for interviewing people. We've had some really great interviews with uh, Chris Pearson and Jerry Snook from Lord of the Rings Online, uh, a friend of yours I know, Jacob Rogers from Cubicle 7.
1: Yeah, Um, so you've been using the... the Cubicle seven adaptation, the, the, D and D sort of middle earth skin thing.
0: So we, yeah, so we did, we did the adventures in middle earth uh, yeah. loosely in the first part of the campaign. And, okay. um, a, as you can imagine, it's very low magic. Right. Um, right. <laughs> so, right. um, and so by the second part of the campaign, I was a little more flexible. They have, a cubicle seven was great. They have a, a sheet in one of the books that says, if you're going to use magic, here are the spells we recommend, right? Like, right. don't really stray from this list because you right. know, otherwise, you're going to break the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, so in, in interviewing people, um, I think you know more than listening to my podcast. The reason people tune in is they're they're able to learn more about these people, like yourself, that they really come to love and 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 have some sort of relationship with online, right? Um, so, so if I might ask you. Where did what was the genesis for the Tolkien professor like where um, and, and you can go as far back as you want like what was when did you first discover Tolkien and then how did that lead to what you do now.
1: Great. Yeah, well, okay, that does put it back a bit. Uh, <laughs> so I discovered Tolkien first when I was eight. Um, and I was living at the time in rural West Virginia, my family had very few books, you know, and neither of my, my parents are really readers anyway, very much. Um, so I discovered Tolkien because my parents did know the Chronicles of Narnia and they had just read me the Chronicles of Narnia, which I had loved. And I had a cousin who had heard that I had just read the Chronicles of Narnia and loved it. So he gave me a copy of the Hobbit. Just basically said, if you really like the Chronicles of Narnia, you'll like this too. So I read that and it was great. And after that, I got, I don't even remember where I got exactly my first copy of the Lord of the Rings or when. I'm pretty sure it was right afterwards because basically like I remember receiving my copy of the Hobbit and then I like completely immersed myself in The Hobbit and I, I don't even really remember my first reading of The Lord of the Rings like that's a distinct experience in itself, mostly because my first reading of The Lord of the Rings was immediately followed by my second reading of The Lord of the Rings Yeah, and I must have read them back to back to back, you know, a whole bunch of times and so like that whole it's it's funny, I mean when I think again, I, I can remember the time when I was introduced to Tolkien, but basically since then I can't really kind of separate you know, like the memory of my childhood from like that time when I was really immersed in it. It's always been um you know, reading it and rereading it has always been, you know, a really central part of where I've been. It's funny though, when I went to college uh, I mean, I didn't cease being a Tolkien fan. I, I, I totally fell in love with medieval literature. Uh, and that was, you know, what when I was, you know, I was an English major and I, I was studying medieval literature and loving that and decided by my sophomore year that I wanted to uh, go to grad school and this was what I wanted to do. Went to grad school and studied medieval literature and carried on being like a, you know, a Tolkien reader on the side, you know, having conversations with, you know, the, the, the few other Tolkien fans that I encountered and everything. But it, I had like no strategy to introduce that into my professional life basically at all it was just like Tolkien is what I read in private and uh, and you know medieval literature is what I taught and read and loved talking about you know into classes and everything and so you know I, I got a tenure track job you know down the road and here I am and the the seat that I got sort of the the, the faculty line that I was occupying right the guy who retired whose position I got had been a half He he had been originally a Victorianist, and then their, like, Chaucer person had vanished, and so they were, like, they made the Victorian go, like, hey, congratulations, you're teaching Chaucer now, too. So he was teaching, like, he had been teaching some medieval literature kind of on the side for a while, but then he retired. And when he retired, they decided, okay, we're going to replace him with like a full medievalist. And so that was my position. So therefore, I was charged by our department chair with developing some new medieval literature classes oh, because there had only crazy. been a couple things on the books that this other guy had been doing, kind of half time, right? So I was like, okay. And so I'm brainstorming, and I'm brainstorming. Like, well, this is what I want to teach, and I'm like, well, I'll, I'll do a, I'll do an Arthurian lit class. That's a no brainer. Like, okay, so we're, we're doing that. Right? got the Chaucer class and maybe some more middle English stuff we can do and then I was just like hey wait a second I could teach a Tolkien class that would be and I literally like until that day it had never like I, I I think I can honestly say throughout my years in graduate school I had never once even thought of that like huh. I, I don't even know why I'm just really good at compartmentalizing I guess but um I was like, hey, I could do a Tolkien class. So I did a Tolkien class uh, at Washington College a couple times. And um, it was, of course, really popular Tolkien classes always are. And um, and so, you know, that kind of opened the door essentially for Tolkien to come into my professional life. Right. Like that compartmentalization sort of went down. Uh, And, um, you know, so here I was, somebody who had never been a Tolkien scholar in the sense of like doing Tolkien in my official scholarship, right? I was a literary scholar and a medieval scholar, uh, you know, who had read Tolkien, you know, all of his life. So all of a sudden I'm like, hey, this is a thing that I can do. So I started writing and I, you know, I published an article on Tolkien and and, and was sort of preparing to write more. But this was a point at which I had a kind of of existential crisis in my, I think it was my third year uh, as a professor. And my prices sort of went like this. And I don't mean this as a. um, many people might feel differently from me. Uh, But anyway, this is how I felt. How I felt was, gosh, this scholarly publishing thing feels like a bit of a waste of time. You know, that, like, here I'm pouring all of my, this work and effort into writing these things, which, like, what, 50 people are ever going to read, right? And, uh, most of them aren't even necessarily going to be real interested in it, right? I was was just, I was, I was feeling like, uh, you know, the, 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 I was a little frustrated by the way, uh, that I felt like the scholarly community was like very inward focused, right? Right. There's a big world out there. And, you know, we're all just like writing these things that we we publish in these journals, which nobody reads but us, right? And the
0: kids—it's an echo chamber, huh? It's, e- it's an echo chamber in some yeah, ways,
1: exactly. Well, I mean, and not—I don't mean it as a criticism of the of the of the thing. It just to me, it wasn't very fulfilling, right? My classroom teaching was like ten times as fulfilling to me uh as writing these articles Mm -hmm. because i'm like frankly in two classes i'm reaching more people than i'm probably reaching with that article that i spent all that time on like that i'm ever going to reach with that because it's only a handful of people ever going to read it and of course this felt especially silly when i started to work on publishing Tolkien stuff because i because i said to myself innocently there are like hundreds maybe even thousands of people out there who would be interested you know to read and talk about this right you know there's this is, this is something which could easily, you know, one could easily talk about to a more general audience and not just in this closed chamber, you know, of scholarly conversation. So that was the original impetus hmm. by my podcast. So I said, okay, you know what, instead of writing this next article, because I was thinking about The Hobbit and I was, uh, I, you know, I was thinking about writing something on The Hobbit, and I was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to do a set of lectures on The Hobbit, and I'm going to like put them online somehow. Was, was this back in
0: 2009?
1: Yeah, well, 2007 was actually when I start with, had the idea. Okay. That was when I first was like, okay, I'm going to... But I didn't really know how to do it. Like, I kind of built my own website. I got the domain TolkienProfessor.com, and the Tolkien Professor, The basically that was just me trying to choose a name that was like as transparent and descriptive as possible. Like, the subject I am discussing is Tolkien, and I am a professor. (laughs)
0: That's
1: really what I was trying to communicate. Like, you know, because I wanted to warn people, like, you know, be warned, this is going to, these are going to be, like, lectures from from an academic, right? So, like, if that's not your bag, you might not like this. And, and it's about Tolkien. So I felt like those are the two things people needed to know. The problem was always the fact, like, this, the stress, which I did not at the time anticipate that would be laid upon the definite article at the beginning of uh, it. The... And There are some other scholars, Mike Drought in particular, who never loses a chance uh, to give me a hard time for calling myself the Tolkien professor as if I'm the only one. He's actually um, coming
0: on the podcast in October.
1: Awesome. Yeah, he's, he's, a, he's a, a great guy, a fantastic scholar. Um, and as I say, always teases me (laughs) with every opportunity he gets (laughs) about the definite article in the title. But again, originally it was just my URL, like tolkienprofessor.com. That's
0: good marketing. That's good marketing.
1: Exactly. I'm like, it's clear. It's, you know, so I came up with that name, you know, with that, with that URL and I'm like, Hey, awesome. So, but again, I really didn't have any idea how to package it. I didn't listen to podcasts at all myself. And this was still pretty early on. I mean, 2007 was still pretty early on in that whole world. Um, not the very beginning, but still pretty early on. So, but, but then, you know, like I was, you know, junior faculty member, other things kind of came and swept to the side for a couple of years. So it was in the summer of 2009 that I finally uh, settled on a podcast and started the podcast stuff officially uh, and kind of moved forward with it. I had recorded. Back in the fall of 2007, I had recorded that very first episode, the "How to Read Tolkien and Why" episode, and I had recorded the first two, I think, lectures in the Hobbit series, my very first Hobbit series, um, before I had set it aside. So I, I posted those as the first three episodes of the podcast, and uh, and went to continue the Hobbit uh, thing from there. Uh, and it was just one of those things where, like, I had like five listeners, you know, for for uh, a few weeks until one day I. <laughs> I'll never forget that morning when I came downstairs and just kind of looked at my download stats, and just to see the the because I didn't have you know I didn't have any access. Uh, Apple was always very bad, and still is actually very bad at giving any kind of stats or information oh, about terrible. iTunes yeah. stuff. Um so all I was able to do was just basically extrapolate from the amount of bandwidth that you know had been used from my server you know uh, for how many downloads we had had and normally you know i was i was I was coming in at about um two to four hundred uh, uh, uh total downloads at this one then I went down this next morning and saw that I had like fifteen thousand and I was like Bwah!
0: what happened? <laughs>
1: what happened was they, they had put me on their new and notable oh. one of the iTunes editor editors like found it and liked it and put it on the new and notable and I was like whoa and that was like
0: <laughs> your server crashed and <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was sort of the beginning of uh the beginning of things and of course I swiftly found that you know the number of people out there that would be interested in talking about Tolkien stuff was neither hundreds nor thousands but indeed hundreds of thousands of people who you know who really were interested in talking about stuff and I had I don't even remember exactly, within a couple of years, you know, several million downloads. And it was, it was just, I mean, what I found, the excitement, the, the, the real hunger for academic content, people who had been out of school for a while and, you know, had not had something to, you know, to, you know Tolkien fans who are out working in like engineering fields or whatever, you know, and had not been. Or
0: astrophysics. Uh,
1: yeah. For example, <laughs> exactly. People. Yeah. Well. So, by the way, the explanation of the astrophysics degree. I was an English physics double major. Those were the two things that I really loved. And that moment in the second half of my sophomore year, when when I decided, okay, English is what I really want to do. Um, I'm going to go pro in English. Uh, and, and so I you know I basically had to take a, a long look at it and say, you know what, the demands of the physics major, like the kinds of things that I know you have to do to complete the physics major, I, I, I can't commit to that because I really want to focus on English stuff. Hmm. So I was grudgingly going to drop the physics major entirely. But then for the last second, I realized I was only like three two courses shy of, the astro, of completing the astrophysics major by oh, coincidence because wow. I've taken a couple astronomy classes already. And I was like, sweet. So if I just take two more classes, I can finish the astrophysics major so the astrophysics major was actually a cop-out on my part <laughs> uh, <laughs> so.
0: I've never heard anyone say that about astrophysics before <laughs> yeah.
1: but, but the perk is that it sounded even cooler so I was like okay you know it's good but I mean I so I know I did I had done several astronomy classes as well as lunch physics so uh, uh so it was really great but no I've always I've always loved math and physics it's mm-hmm. always been throughout my, my high school career especially I was like uh, uh, I loved English
0: most but I was better at math and science uh, yes yeah, so. that's exactly Exactly how I was. Though this marks the end of the episode, the road goes ever on. Until next time, join us at longwinded.one and consider giving us a review on Apple Music, Spotify, or really whichever platform you choose.